Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to all those who are joining or listening later on via the Temple Beth Am podcast. Here we are, Chumash with Rashi, uh, about to read uh, a Rashi on um, chapter 6 of the book of Exodus, the book of Shemot, uh, verse 29. We read the verse, then we read the Rashi. Uh, First things first, I want to make sure, Stu, you're on the right page. Alan, can you can you confirm that on the right page? Loha Baishan Lomed. Do not be shy to ask, otherwise there'll be no learning. Hi, Michael. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you It's okay. You can come in. No, no, I can't talk to Larry. Larry's unavailable. Okay. Um, let's read verse 29 just to get into the groove and kind of like hint, hint, the very fact that we're reading verse 29 to get, get, get back into the groove is form matching content, as you'll see in a few verses. So verse 29 is the first verse of the third aliyah of Parshat Va'era, moving right along. Va'yedaber Adonai el Moshe lemor, God said to Moses, saying, Ani Adonai, I am Yudhei Vavhei, Daber el Paro Melech Mitzrayim, Daber, command form, speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Et, sort of that which, et is here just like a direct object, kol asher, or, or indicating a direct object, uh, kol asher ani dover elecha, all that which I, present tense, we talked about this last time a little bit, I am speaking to you, or um, uh, again, it's very hard to translate words, word for word, uh, when we're dealing with tenses in Hebrew, but something like everything that I am uh, speaking to you, and even in the Uncleus, he translates it in the present tense, Mimmalel, um, speaking to you, although most of the translations we saw in English converted into a future, right? Everything that I will say to you. Okay, uh, that was the verse itself. We did not read the Rashi on the verse. Uh, w- were there any comments or are there any comments? Speaking of tenses, were, are, will there be any comments on that verse before we jump into the Rashi? Will be is a better answer. <laughs> I know, but we're talking about prophecy here, Barry. Yes, but we need a microphone. It's for people in the room. Oh. There's a copy of Mikorot Kedolot available for anybody who wants it in the library. It's all in Hebrew, Rashi script, whatever. But if anybody wants it, several volumes, it's in the, in the library. You I like it. Our library here, and you can get it for free. Thank you, Leonard. What he's referring to is that uh, Mikorot Kedolot, literally the, 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 the grand readings, is the classic way of describing a chumash with the comment with with many of the classical medieval commentaries. Um, some of us have a version, like if you have a Torah Chaim, you have a Mikrot Yolo. What's interesting about the Torah Chaim is that it's not Rashi script. Classically, all the commentaries would have been in Rashi script, uh, which Rashi may or may not have actually known. Okay, uh, should we jump into the Rashis? Um, Carol, want to read the Rashi? <laughs> uh, can we bring uh, the microphone to Carol, please? Motivation to come more regularly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. I had a bear. Who who hadibor atzmo? Can you unzoom here, Carol? A little bit. Can you bring the mic a little bit closer oh, to you, Carol? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, who hadibor atzmo? Ha'emor lamala, hasukid olive, ba diber el paro melech mitraim. Okay, so translate that phrase. Hey, this is the, uh, this, this is the speech itself. Uh, that was that was said above in Pasuk Yud Aleph. Okay, so let's go back to Yud Aleph. We did this a few times already because we've been going slowly through this section. And um, uh, verse 11, and is it verse 11 and 12? Yeah, verse 11, etc. 12, 11, 12, 13 are the last few verses before the second Aliyah, which we just completed. 
and it was the second Aliyah that was the genealogy, which we've discussed over and over again, was the genealogy that kind of got stuck in there to give us a sense, not that we, the readers, didn't know it, but the original readers, as it were, of who Moshe and Aaron were vis-a-vis the people they were about to represent and take out. All right, so if we go back to verse 11 of chapter 6, Bo, uh, uh, verse 10, God said to Moses, saying, Go speak to um, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And if you compare that to um, our verse, it, the, the, the content is very, is very similar. And, and that continued, and, and, and then Pharaoh will, will dispatch the children of Israel from his land. Right. So what Rashi is saying is here, the words in our verse, which is verse 29, God spoke to Moses saying, hey, I'm God, go speak to Pharaoh and do everything I say to you. The, the question that he's answering is what? Yeah, e- e- not only why we repeat it, even, even more simply, is this a new scene or is this not a new scene? Right. So essentially, why did he repeat it? But are we are we if we're keeping track of the things that have happened? In the Torah, is this a new happening? Is this a new moment? Or and Rashi's answer is no. Ver, verse twenty nine is a basically a capitulation or a recapitulation of verses eleven, twelve, and thirteen. And so he says, "Huadibor." It's the very same thing that was said above. And then he quotes verse eleven, which we just read. Ella, Ella mitoch shahipsik ha'inyan kadei leyachasem chazer ha'inyan. Alav lahit chilbo. Okay. Um, okay, but, but since uh, I don't know, because the 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 matter was stopped. I don't know how else to say that. It's exactly right. The the the, the assumed um, subject of the verb hivseek is God, because God or the text itself interrupted the matter. Right, stopped for a bit to talk about our genealogy and why did. The, the the text interrupt itself today in order to to uh is the to trace their their relationship their yachas right their... in order to create the yichas right in order to 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 remind us that Moshe and Aaron are very directly connected to the people whom they are representing to try to free Hazar uh, returned uh, it it returns to begin it I'm confused on what's referring to what here right so if the subject of the verbs here the unnamed subject is god right okay. as the author um, since god interrupted the matter in order to uh, articulate the relationships between motion air and the people now bring forward the subject god chazarla god repeated god's self to restart the narrative right or if you want to presume that the unnamed subject is not God, the author, but the text itself, right? The text stopped itself, and now the text is repeating itself in order to restart narrative after having been in genealogy. Make sense? Okay. Questions on that? Yes, Stuart. Let's give Stuart the microphone. Is God repeating himself in verse 29? Or, or, you know, or we're going backwards to go forwards? Sort of, right? So verse 29, and um, Stuart, some of the context will be, will, um, will be less clear to you because you, you, also, you came in in the middle of the interruption, um, is basically not telling the reader, there was another moment that God said to Moses and Aaron, go to Pharaoh and speak to him, and they will let the Israelites go. That moment that you, the reader, read in verses 11 and 12 and 13 before the genealogy, I, the text, I, God, am just bringing forward the moment again, right? In the Talmud, every once in a while, um, there'll be the beginning of a halachic conversation, interpreting a law and bringing verses, and then the rabbis go into a, 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 a tangent. And every once in a while, the Talmud would have a single word, gufa. Gufa from the word guf, what does guf mean? Right here, it means back back to what we were talking about. Right, we've been on a tangent for eight lines or a page. Gufa, 
back to the Mishnah. What we're really talking about is how to interpret this line of the Mishnah. So back to the body of the material. This is Rashi's kind of way of saying that we are in a Gufa moment. And in the Gufa moment, the Torah is choosing to, and this is significant, use slash waste words and lines so that we're not confused about where we are in the story. And the reason I use the word waste is because we're used to understanding that the Torah is being terse, right? The Torah doesn't repeat itself. So since the Torah is repeating itself, Rashi is saying, Rashi is saying, yes, the Torah is repeating itself, not that, not that we're in a new scene, and this is why the Torah is repeating. But wouldn't it not be wasting if it has a purpose? Right. So I, used the, I used the word wasting representing our normal way of understanding. No, I, I understood what you meant, but even using that so that we understand how you're using waste, it isn't really wasting because it has a purpose. No? Once Rashi has given Rashi's answer, there's more of a purpose, right? At first glance, you can say, uh, verse 11 wasn't that long ago. It was long ago in our class, it was go slowly, but if we're just reading the Torah, right? If you're in Shul on Parshad Ve'era, verse 11 was the end of verse, was the end of the first aliyah, and now I'm in the third aliyah. That was four minutes ago. I don't need a reminder, right? So one can make the argument that this is extraneous, and Rashi saying, rather than a understand this as a new scene, and rather than me build a whole midrashic infrastructure around it, I'm just saying, yeah, the Torah is repeating itself, right? And, and, and reader, don't think of it as wasteful. It's just to make sure you don't get confused. Uh, Rick. Um, some of the trope are different, and some of the words are different. So when we get to uh, verse 30, um, I could say more, but um, there are differences between the two. They're not the same. Yes, I'd love to hear that analysis when we get to verse 30. It's not a direct quote. Rashi's not saying we have um, transposed verses 11, 12, 13 and put them here, but the, the content that we're going to learn in verse 29 and 30 is essentially the content that we had already learned. That's how I was going to raise the question, why the changes? If it's supposed to be a recap, what does it teach us? Right. Did you, people on Zoom hear that as Alan raised his voice? even though he was projecting very well like a bar mitzvah student. So say it into the microphone. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you all for being a part of this Rashi class. Go ahead. Atan. Yeah. The fact as the fact that the words are going to be different raises the question, which we'll, I'm sure we'll be discussing, what does it teach us the difference between from 6, 10, 11, 12, and 13, and 6, 29, and 30? If the words are different, why is it so? What does it come to teach us? Right. Well, so, spoiler alert, Rashi's not going to do that. Rashi's basically t telling us that he's not going to draw out a whole lot of meaning from the repetition. He's resting on the fact it's a repetition. Um, and, and he's not going to draw much out on the differences in the way that material is presented there or here, but I believe Rick Rashi Muller will. Um, let's right. finish the Rashi on Ani Adonai. This is the second Rashi on verse 29. Is that Kadai? I don't know what that yeah, word is. Yeah, Kadai. Kadai Ani Lishalechecha L'Kayem Divrei in order to make sense of what Rashi is saying here, you have to remember a little bit what Rashi said in the beginning of Parshat Va'era on the difference between um, uh, Adonai and Elohim and what the significance of God's using God's tetragrammaton name here means. First, let's translate the words and then we'll see if we understand what he's saying. I'm stuck on Kadai. How, how do we normally translate Kadai in modern Hebrew? Worthwhile, right? As an experience, Kadai in rabbinic Hebrew is more like worthy. Um, um, yeah, I think worthy is 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 a good placeholder word. So I'm worthy of sending you. Uh, mm -hmm. that, All right, that, uh, and to fulfill the words of my my mission, my shlichut. Right. So that's what that's what the words mean, right? That when Rashi says that the Torah says Ani Adonai, 
right? Why is God's four-letter name repeated here? It's a way of reinforcing that this is the part of me, folks. This is the part of God that is utterly worthy. In what way am I worthy? I, I, I almost like you can rely on me to do it. Um, I'm really worthy to be the one to send you out and to fulfill my promise in doing so, right? Back in the beginning of Parsha Ve'era, we spent a long time discussing this idea that, that sometimes yud Hey vav Hey compared to Elohim, the distinction is not just rachamim, mercy versus judgment and, um, and, um, and law, but sometimes it's ne'emanut, right? Trustworthiness. You can rely on me, right? And there was a whole series of, of verses where Rashi brought us back to other places where, where, um, where, where that use of God's name is reinforcing this notion of God. That, that, you know, I'm sending you into the lion's den, don't worry. I've got this and you've got this. And by my saying, yud hey vav hey, it's I'm, I am reinforcing that to you according to Rashi. Um, so, it's sort of it, so this Rashi is itself a callback to an earlier Rashi from the beginning of the Parsha, even though he doesn't footnote himself. Uh, Alan? The definition in Silverman, this isn't, isn't that Kadai is worthy, but rather powerful enough to do that. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that works as well. I think... I think he's made a jump. I think he hasn't translated Kadai as powerful. He's translated, if I may, Kadai as worthy. But in what way am I worthy? I'm worthy in that you can you can rely on me because I'm powerful enough to, to do this. But I don't think the word Kadai means powerful, but I think in context, the worthiness that God is trying to represent here, according to Rashi, is that I've got the stuff to make this happen, right? I'm not sending you in on a false mission. Sue? This translation that I have here says, I am competent to send you competent. and to fulfill you. Yeah. I think, I think similar, right? I think neither of those two is a great translation of the Hebrew word kadai. Uh, since we can do this very quickly, let's see if Jastro has a different uh, translation of the word kadai. Adequate, worthy, competent, deserving. Yeah. Yeah. But it, has to, it really has to do with sufficiency. Um, so sufficiency relates to competency, but the word itself has to do with, um, and, and right, and it's built from, it's, it's a word built around die, which means enough, sufficient, right? Not, you know, dienu. Yes, Larry. I'm going to confuse matters even more. Terrific. <clears throat> and then reserve the right to make a, another comment. Um, the word competent in English is not a pure, a, a good cognate with the word competent or competencia in Romance languages like Portuguese, and I think also in French. The word competent in English means you have the capability to do it. Competencia in Romance languages means you have the authority to do it. Hmm. So I had a boss who was not competent. But he was very competent. But he had the competencia <laughs> to make decisions. Interesting. And it may well be that in this case, we're talking about competencia as opposed to competence. Hmm. Authority. God is saying, I have the authority to send you out. Not that I have the, not that I have the ability or I'm powerful enough. Fascinating. Can I make a, a kind of step back? I mean, you, you reserved that right, so sure. I guess you can. I don't know where to go with this, but nobody has made the observation that not only are we repeating in this verse and in, this, in the subsequent verse something that we saw before, but this entire, mm. this entire scene is a repetition. In chapter 5, Moses and Aaron went to... Pharaoh, and they already had the conversation with Pharaoh, and he said to him, get out of here. Right. And the people got really, really mad. And now we have this conversation as if this never took place. Yeah. He doesn't say, go and talk to Pharaoh again. He says, go and talk to Pharaoh. I'll tell you what to say. Yeah. And the repetition of Moses pleading that he's not capable of speech, of speech is repeated. Or I was trying to mark them down, and I didn't do a good job. But I think five different times, five, is it possible? It's five separate times Moses pleads he's not he's not competent. He's not able to because he can't speak or, or, or whatever. 
And I don't expect Rashi or any of the commentators to come up with the, the critical view that what happened here was a cutting and pasting and a cutting and pasting and a cutting and pasting. I would expect some of us would have said, yeah, that's really what's going on here. And we're trying to find meaning in these repetitions. Hmm. When in fact, what we've simply got here is the editor simply put it in again. Didn't you say those exact words already? I did, probably. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Um, yeah, so there are famous scholarly articles on, on chapter 39, I think, of Breshit, um, with Yosef and the Ishmaelites and the Midianites and the Soharim. And if you were in the class when we did that probably nine years ago, you remember it, because <laughs> it's very hard to trace. If you, if you just if you use the text authoritatively and you ask yourself, how many different groups of people were involved in the sale of Joseph? It's almost like an Escher painting, like you, you, you keep losing them, right? Um, or it's an optical illusion. Similar here. If you start from, um, when, from, from the burning bush and you get to the first plague, it's not clear, you know, that like those optical illusions where it's not clear if the elephant has four legs or five legs, right? It, it's, it's not clear exactly how many times Moshe, or Moshe and Aaron have been to Pharaoh, and that's not even taking into account the the, the literal um, or what Rashi is calling a literal repetition of, of of scenes here, right? And so that you're right, that's an important pickup, um, and you're right that um, most medieval commentators will just not go there, and I don't think they won't go there because like oh I can't get into biblical criticism, it didn't exist. It's like it's like explaining why you know, um, King Uziah in the seventh century BCE didn't use physics to explain his world. He didn't, he didn't, didn't know it. it wasn't in his brain. So they could not have imagined a stitching together. Um, and so they're going to respond, if anything, on, on micro comparisons, not the larger question of how many times did Pharaoh actually get visited by Moshe and Aaron. But it's astute of you to pick that up, correct. Okay, um, Rosemary. Just going to say, if um, in those times and later on, the education was by repetition, and there wasn't like Hebrew school in synagogues, but the children would go, the parents listen and listen, listen, then they would learn by art. Right. So in a way, this repetition is just I'm feeling very good. That that's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm God, and you're going. I can't speak. It's repeating, so people will finally get it. Back, back to our story, right? That, that's sort of how we would do things if we were telling a story ourselves. In fact, I've probably done it in this class already today, saying we went on a tangent. Okay, let's, let's get back to what we we're talking about, and then I'll actually say what we were talking about. Alan? Just one question about the word Kadai. It's spelled with, here with an olive. Yeah. I usually used to see it without the olive. Is yeah. there any meaning, any particularness behind this? Uh, I think the quick answer is no. I think in modern Hebrew, um, it's spelled without the Aleph. I, I think, think in so. rabbinic Hebrew, the Aleph is often there. Yeah. What's that? Kadeh. Well, actually, right. Kadeh and Kadeh. In modern Hebrew, is Kadeh with an Aleph? Oh, it is? Right. Are you confusing it with Kadeh? No, I, I know about Kadeh, but I always thought Kadeh was also without, without an Aleph. There's an Aleph in modern Kedai. Hebrew. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Dai, because if it's Kedai, because Dai is Dalav Yud, Dayenu, yeah. so one would think Kedai would be Kaf Dalav Yud. Right. If it's with an olive, that's news for me, and I, I'm learning something new well, today. It, in, my, in my dictionary online, when I say worthwhile, it's got an olive. Yeah. So, in, 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 so, yeah, so it looks like in rabbinic Hebrew and modern Hebrew, it's Kedai, yeah. and in Melbourne, it's Gudai. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Couldn't, couldn't help myself. All right. Um, verse, should we do another verse? Verse 30. Okay. Verse 30. Joel, do you want to read verse 30? Let's give Joel a microphone. Mm. By Yomer Moshe. What did I say? You said by oh. Daber. 30. Uh, we're in the Torah, Joel. So. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
הן אני ארל שפתיים ואיך ישמע עליי פרעה. אוקיי, אז זה אומר שזה יכול להיות מעניין. משה אומר לגוד, או בפני גוד. ‫האנסרקומסייזדיו-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-טונג-
there's another twist on this. I kind of remember that the movie where somebody it's a, uh, constantly is repeating the day repeats again. Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day. So it's like a Groundhog Day, but not quite because it's two different. In, in the first version, the, the Israelites don't listen to him. How is Pharaoh going to listen to him? Here is Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Yeah, the Israelites are somehow not are not a concern in this second telling of that scene. Uh, Joanna. I think possibly the Aras Fatayim concern is only pertinent to Paro, because if we go back one previous verse from the previous scene, that is the episode where God makes his famous fourfold plus five Beheveti, um, and then Moshe relays those words to B'nai Israel, where we hear that they did not, in Pasuktet, they did not listen, not because Moshe was Aras Fatayim, but Binkotzer Ruach and Avodah Kasha. So I think perhaps there's a real separating out of why B'nai Israel won't listen and why Paro won't listen. And Aras Fatayim is only pertinent to Paro. So as we refocus here, um, we're only refocusing on that part of the story. For the moment, we're not worried about, or the Torah is not at this particular moment concerned about B'nai Yisrael not listening because of Avodah Kashan Ruach. Right. Wonderful, Joanna, particularly as you connect it with berries. I would add that maybe since the next scene that we're about to be, that we're introducing, which is why we're repeating ourselves, is not Moshe speaking to the B'nai Yisrael, but to Pharaoh, the only anxiety from before that's worth bringing forward is the anxiety about Pharaoh's not listening to him. And then the, the rationale for that is they're all for time, right? It's not that we're about to have is Moshe going to speak to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh. It's just Pharaoh. Eventually he'll speak to the children of Israel, but that's not the uh, immediate um, next image. Good. Okay. Let's have Joel read the Rashi on verse 30, which will, will, will again be form matching content here. This is what was said above. Just pause for a second. Interesting how Rashi himself is using the somewhat interchangeable words of Dibor and Amira, right? Both have to do with speech, um, which is all interesting because all of this section has to do with speech and words for speech, including what we're going to come up to in verse um, one and next chapter. Because what Rashi said before was, Hu ha Dibor. Atzmo ha'amor lamala. So this was the dibor that was amored above. So using both roots, and now he's saying he ha'amira sh'amar lamala. So why he's using amira here, not dibor, I'm not sure, but it's interesting. Yes. I think he's using it when he did dibor. It says because ataher it was using daber. So you're going to use dibor here. He's saying. Uh, it says Amar, so he's going to say Amura. It's based on what was in the was in the. Good, I accept. Good, good. Okay, keep going. Hen bnei Yisrael lo shamu elai. This is from verse twelve. Right, the part of verse twelve actually that is not repeated here. And uh, and behold, or uh, therefore, bnei um, Yisrael did not. Listen to me. Right. So just, just so you see what's going on here. Rashi is quoting the beginning of verse 12. It's the beginning of verse 12 that was describing Moshe's concern about the Israelites not hearing him, which is actually not the concern here. It's the rest of verse 12 that's actually being repeated. But he's quoting from the beginning of the verse with a dot, dot, dot. Bishana. Bishana hakatuv kan. I'm assuming shana means repeat. Right. Right. This is shana, not year. This is shana like shnaim. Right uh, and uh, uh, repeat the same as Chazar. Good. So the the same um, words are repeated here. Kevanche mm hivsikaynyan because the matter had been interrupted. Beken he hashita and this is the system kaadam haomer like a man who says nachzor al har. Rishonot, right? Rishonot. Let's go back to the beginning. So now that Rashi has said twice repeating himself, then the idea that the Torah is repeating itself 
um, about going about what I said before. He then makes a generic comment upon it. That's the way of things, not only in the Torah, but as a person or as a teacher of a Rashi class says, let's go back to what we had been talking about before we interrupted ourselves. Or beginning of each class, let's read the last verse that we did last week to get ourselves going so that we can have the proper momentum. So it's a, it's a really a fascinating little um, form and content. When we try to repeat, we always come up with something else again. Yes, because there's always something new. Alan? Why wouldn't Rashi use Gufa, the Talmudic term, since he was going to be, since he wrote all the, the commentaries and did all the commentaries on Talmud, he was clearly yeah. familiar with the term, presumably. I've Why? never seen the word Gufa used except within the Talmud. It was the Talmud's way of doing that, but I don't, I mean, I, I don't have comprehensive, um, you know, mastery of all of the, of the commentaries on Talmud, but I, I don't have a memory of like that being a, um, a methodology for later users of the Hebrew word to go back to an issue they've been talking about. It's only within the Talmud. I don't have a good reason why, but it just, it's a Talmudic phrase, not a, a medieval Hebrew phrase. Okay, good, are we moving right along here? Yeah, we're making a lot of progress. I saw a hand up, I'm like, whose hand is that? Oh, it's mine, because I was raising, <laughs> I saw a disembodied hand, I'm like, who is that? Very weird, big hand there. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, let's go to verse uh, one, which is now new-ish material, maybe. Okay, how about that for, uh, for a qualifier? Um, what's that? Funny doesn't look new-ish. <laughs> um, all right, Leonard, do you want to read verse one? Verse one. Let's give Leonard a microphone. All right. And God said to Moshe, See, I have given, God has, huh? I have given God to Pharaoh. <laughs> It's, it's going to be a hard phrase to actually turn into good English. Okay. And, well, well uh, break it down. What does netaticha mean? I gave you. I gave you. Okay. Or remember that in biblical Hebrew, notain can mean give. It can also mean to set or to place. Okay. So it might be easier to render this in English if you uh, exchange the word give with set or place or maybe even if I have made you. What's that? I have made you. Something like that. Even though, yeah, it, it's something like that. Um, so keep trying to make sense of the verse, Leonard. Well, here it says, I have set thee in God's stead to Pharaoh. So helpful. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, what do you make of, of the fact that Elohim and Lifaro are in the sentence? What could possibly God be saying? I've made you an important person. Okay, Pharaoh. right. So, 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 behold, look, Moses, um, to Pharaoh, vis-a-vis -vis Pharaoh, I have made you, set you, place you, Elohim. I'm clearly not deifying you, right? But that's sort of what, what it looks like it's saying. I have made you a god to Pharaoh, right? Um, keep translating, just keep translating the sentence, then we'll, we'll, we'll do as much work as we need to on it. Okay, and uh, Aaron, your brother, will be a prophet. Not just a prophet, but your prophet. Your prophet, right? So I somehow have rendered you Elohim vis-a-vis -vis Pharaoh, and Aaron also has a role. He's going to be Navi. So there are usages of that word that are very lofty, right? God and prophet. And the question is, is that what it means here? And could it mean that? Or are we supposed to be translating those words into different words in English, knowing that in Hebrew, 
there was no translation. It was, it was just those words. So the question is, what were those words trying to trying to connote when they were being used in the context? Sue, let's give Sue a microphone, and then we'll read some translations. Well, I'm just thinking that Pharaoh thinks he's a god. I mean, Pharaoh to, to Pharaoh, gods are personified. And so it, it, it seems like he's sort of saying, I'm, I'm putting you in there as a stand-in because Pharaoh understands gods in these, in, Interesting. in these realms. So, Sue, you're voting for Elohim as Elohim, right? That no need to read it as something different. The, that in order for you to be authoritative to Pharaoh, I've got to make Pharaoh believe that you're a god. That's how Pharaoh understands. Right, but only to Pharaoh. Only Don't to you Pharaoh. think you're a god? Aha. Uh -huh. To fit a uh, good. Fair your Elohim. Yeah. To me, your motion. Elon? Maybe the way to express it is uh, I am making you like a god to Pharaoh, right? And yeah. So that, that it gives the implication that. Really, it only applies to your relationship with Pharaoh. Good. I think the absence of the like is why Rashi doesn't read it the way that you two are reading it. That's a good reading also. But I think Rashi might say, but it doesn't say like. It says Elohim, and I can't, again, I'm giving it away, I can't understand, Rashi might say, that any human being would be rendered as God. So therefore, I have to read the word Elohim here, not as God. But this reading is powerful as well, right? Pharaoh understands divinity in human form. I'm going to make you like that in Pharaoh's presence. Don't be worried about the fact that you have a speech impediment. A lot of hands, a lot of hands. Let, let's go around counterclockwise. Let's go Larry, Diane, Elon again, there's Mary, Sue, everyone. I'm on team Sue. Okay. And I don't think there's any question here that it's Elohim le paro. So it's a, a God to Pharaoh. So it's not like a God. Mm -hmm. You're going to be a God to Pharaoh. And and I also want to bring as evidence the previous verse. Moses ended by saying, why is Pharaoh going to listen to me? Mm. And this is the answer. Mm. He's going to listen to you because mm. you will be a god to him. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Diane? <clears throat> um, and only to reinforce that is God is saying, I've also sent your brother to be your prophet. And who has a prophet? God. Nice. Right. So, so Elohim Tnavi works, right? Because those, that's a relationship we understand. Um, and the question is, is there another way of understanding what those words mean? But they're definitely in relationship with each other. Elon, Rosemary, Sue, and then we're gonna look at some translations. I think, I think Moses knows who is God, so he doesn't need to be God. But Pharaoh is used to have idols. Yeah. And they have to touch that's the difference between judaism and other religions right they have to touch something so moses is that element to touch so, so that way he will he will understand what's god but if moses was saying god he hasn't seen he hasn't touched it's almost as if you're saying that god is telling moshe if you pharaoh if you moshe tell pharaoh that you are a god in tangible form, he'll believe it because that's if you at least if you could do powerful things because that's the way his world works. That that gods were physical and three dimensional and tangible. Right. Sue. Well, I'm, I don't have it totally formulated yet, but I think it's in nataticha, which is kind of a weird verb there. Mm -hmm. It's it's and it's not. I'm making you a god. Obviously, it's mm. not. I made I made of you a god. It's a. It, it's specifically nataticha you know elohim le yeah. so it's I, i'm doing this 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 is this is something from me for this situation um it, it's it's packed into that nataticha good so that's a good setup for to some translations after joel speaks i'm just asking if you can look up natan and jasper uh, yeah, it would be looking up at the BDB because jasper is really a rabbinic hebrew person not a biblical hebrew person um Okay, let me do that first. The Brown Driver Briggs Biblical Dictionary. Okay, so according to BDB, 
Natan, give, put, set. They all work, right? Um, connected to the Assyrian Nadanu, but you all knew that already. Give, put, set. Um, hey, Rabbi, can you show us on Zoom? Is the camera working? And, and you know, it, it, there's all these words that he could have used. I mean, we have words like appoint, and we have words like make, and we have we have all those words. Right. But that's not the word here. So here is the first entry to give, put, or set, and then, oops, where did that go? Um, just gonna try to put this over a bit. Um, Yeah, to give personally, to hand to, um, when there's a lamed, it's to give something to, but give, put, set. Okay. Saperstein and Everett Fox both say made you. Right. So let, let's actually first, let's do translations kind of in historical order. Let's look at Uncleus. Okay. Uncleus. Um, which, you know, I'll give this disclaimer for the hundredth time, doesn't mean the Ungolus is correct, but it's an indication of how the Jews of Palestine at the time understood, or at least how this Jew in Palestine understood it in their own vernacular. So, uh, um, Alan, do you want to show a Stu where the Ungolus is? Does he have Ungolus there? Should be there. Okay. Ungolus is the translation uh, in, from Hebrew into the Aramaic, Stu. Which is the language they spoke back then. The Amar Adonai Moshe, simple, God said to Moses, Chazi, which means re'e, right? The verb Chet Zayin Yud in Aramaic means to see, which you, Chazon, right? So you see it in, in the, the notion of a vision. So there, there are remnants of Chazi as see in Hebrew. Manitach, he translates the word Netaticha as Mem Nun Yud. Anyone know what the root Mem Nun Yud means in Aramaic? What's that? I don't have dimanitach. I have dimanitach. Uh, if if it's dead, that's a she. Right? That's not a part of the root. Um, I'll show you. Anyone want to guess what you think memnun yud means in Aramaic? A point. It, it's similar to a point. Like you have. Uh, well, a mankal is a um, rashateva. Minahel klali. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it can mean to count or to appoint or ordain. Is it from like manat kosi biomikra? No, that's a portion. A man, like a mane is a portion. Um, different word. You're lost. So, uncle. Um, uh, once again, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I didn't share the screen, everybody. So, mani in the Jastro dictionary means to appoint or to ordain. Okay. So, going back to our uncleus, he translates Netaticha as Manitach, I am appointing you, right? I am putting you in the position of, of what? How does he, Rav, what does Rav not mean here? Rabbi, rabbi. it's not Rav as Rabbi. What else can Rav mean? Master, right? Shalom Moriv Rabbi, hello my teacher and my, and my master, right? The one who has authority over me. So, I, what's that? Yeah, like it has to do with a word that means great or much. So I am appointing you as a rav, not as a rebbe, as a master of the pharaoh. The aharon, actually, let's not read that. We'll read the Well, let's do it now. The aharon, achuch, Aaron, your brother, will be meturgmanach. So how does he translate? He translated as a translator, right? So he's brought it down a step. Yes, Elohim and Navi, as Diane said, have a relationship with each other. Who has a prophet? A god. But if we bring it down a couple of lofty steps, it's not God and prophet, it's, you know, person of authority and the one who's going to help me understood, right? It's a little more pedestrian. A lot more pedestrian. It's a lot more pedestrian, right? It's a, it's a little bit of understatement to say it's a little more pedestrian, okay? So that's Unglis, and, and Unglis is reading it very differently than um, an Elon and Sewer, uh, but that doesn't mean that Unglis is correct. But that's how at least some of the Jews of Palestine understood it. Barry, microphone? Long arm, the long arm of the law. So this uh, Aros of um, uh, uh, Moshe's 
appointed at, at a higher level and physically is unable to speak to Pharaoh, but he, his presence, his panay is authoritative. Uh, and uh, Aaron is required to be the one to bring it down a level yeah. to speak. Yeah, Aaron will provide the lips. Moshe will provide it's, it's, it's the, more, more the authority. The it's, it's, it's authoritative levels. Yeah. Um, Everett Fox, as Renee um, hinted at before, reads it um, very differently, or, um, or very differently than Uncleus did. God said to Moshe, see, I will make you as a god for Pharaoh. So he had ads and the ads. This is very counter to Everett Fox's normal approach, because he usually does not put in in English words that he wishes were there that are not there in Hebrew. But he does want to make it, render it as the most fluid English as possible. But he adds in an as. I will make you as a god for Pharaoh. He does not capitalize the word god in this sentence, right? So god in the same way that that um, in Hebrew, sometimes the word Eloah refers to their gods that we don't think exist. So it is a fine word without uh, rendering it as an actual deity. And Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. So straight, right? Straight adding the as in, like, like Sue and Ilan were reading it. Um, Arya Kaplan? So Arya Kaplan? Wait, we need a microphone. Arya Kaplan said, oh, you want the whole verse? Yeah. God said to Moses, observe, I will be making you like a god. I will be making you. Yeah. Huh. To Pharaoh. God, he, he renders, he goes from past tense to future. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. But then he has a footnote. And the footnote says, um, according to Targum Yonatan, it's like a god. According to Rashi, it's a judge. According to Ankelos, it's a master. And according to Ibn Ezra, it's like an angel. Hmm. The word Elohim used here has all these connotations. Hmm. Great. Uh, altar. altar, yes. And I'll put, maybe I'll pull up Ibn Ezra on the screen. Go ahead. Altar says, and the Lord said to Moses, Quote, see, I have set you as a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother will be your prophet. I have set you. So that's that's a good use, that's a good rendering of Netatiha. He has a brief note. He says the reiteration of this bold comparison may may have a polemical, a polemic motivation. Pharaoh imagines himself a god, but I have made you a god to Pharaoh. So that I think fits in a little bit with what's with, a lot with very, what much so. very much so. Very much so. Zapperstein? Sure. Hashem said to Moses, see, I have made you a master over Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your speaker. And that's Saperstein's translation of the verse or of Rashi? Of the verse. Fascinating, because he's basically translating the verse as Rashi is about to translate it. Yeah, but and also in this, in the, um, what do you call it? In the, in the Fox, Everett Fox. I don't know if you noticed that he also, when he refers to as a god, he mentions it or oracle. You see the footnote where he says it's an oracle? Oh, yes. So on the word as a god, um, Ever Fox says, or quote oracle, as mentioned in the note to 416, which we could go back if we wanted to. Yeah. Let's look at Ibn Ezra in the original. I'll share the screen, and then I see Leonard, Leonard's hand up. Since it was referenced, um, was it Alter who referenced it? Someone mentioned Ibn Ezra. Arya Kaplan. So Vayomer, this is on um, on our verse. Tam reisha siti lecha maalegdola Tam here means not taste but reason. So what's the what's the reason under the meaning of this verse that I have made you um, uh, into an elevated status? Shetiye nechshav beinei Pharaoh that you will be thought of, considered in the eyes of Pharaoh. Kimalat malach like the level of an angel, Bezehu Elohim. And that is the meaning of what Elohim means in this verse. Okay, uh, Leonard? I was just going to give you a JPS translation. Please, yeah. Uh, the Lord replied to Moses, See, I place you in the role of God to Pharaoh. Capital, in the role of God to Pharaoh. Capital G for God. Yeah. Uh, with your brother Aaron as your prophet. Hmm. So many possibilities. It's really a rich verse, right? That's really weird that they capitalize God there. Well, actually, the comment over here is 
What, 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 what Larry said you couldn't hear is that's very strange that JPS uses, tr tr capitalizes the word God in English. Go ahead, Leonard. Well, they're comparing this to 416. I'm not sure exactly what's there, but the earlier verse concerned the functions of Moses and Aaron's and their dealings with the people of Israel. Here, Moses is to fill the role of God, capital G, in negotiations with Pharaoh who claimed divinity for himself. Uh -huh. Moses's divinely endowed power and authority will expose the hollowness of that claim. Uh -huh. Yes, because it's in 416, which everyone can just turn back to because you have it, that the, the, the Moshe's and Aaron's statuses are first described. Um, the... So verse 15, you shall speak to him. And place the words in his mouth. I'm going to be with your mouth, Moshe. And in his mouth, who's the him? Aaron. I will instruct you at Asher Tasun, that which you should do. He, going back to what Barry said, will be the actual one presenting the words to the people. He will be as if your mouth. Elohim. You will be to him as a God. We had similar conversations there as to what that word might have meant in that context. And Uncle is, as, um, is consistent with himself. On that verse, he says, So he translates Elohim as Rav in both cases. Barry? No, no, I, I'm hearing this for a Okay, Rosemary? Um, this is introduction, Moses going to Pharaoh. So at the beginning, he's He's being God, but that's how he introduced God to Pharaoh, because later on, he's, he says, my God says, do this, don't do that. Mm. So it was just introducing him to God. That moment, maybe God did something on the face of Moses, or I don't know, something happens that you look the person, you believe that's God. Mm. And then once uh, Pharaoh has digested that part, he goes back. And he really introduces God and he's Moses. Mm. Wonderful. Let's read the Rashi quickly. It's a short Rashi on at least the first part of it, just to close the circle. And then next week, we'll start by repeating that last little piece that we... <laughs> okay. Leonard, read the, read the first Rashi in well, the Tatiq al Well, we'll repeat it with a few changes. Well, a few changes. Yes, yes. Okay. Netatiq Elohim Shofet um, so I have set you as a God to Pharaoh. Uh, so Elohim means judge and chastiser, apparently. And the chastisement with the um, plagues and uh, afflictions. Right. Rodeh, Reish Dalad, Reish Dalad He, has to do with dominion. Pru Urvu Urdua to Aretz. Right. Be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the land is what God says to Adam Vechava. So Rashi says, you're all wrong. It's not a God. Right. It's the word Elohim here means someone who has authority to judge and has the power to have dominion, and in what way? Lear doto, to have dominion over him in the stuff that's coming up, makot bisurin, in the plagues and the suffering, right? That you're going to be the one who, yes, sort of godlike, but more has the absolute power to make anything happen that you want to happen. Now, I want to just end the class by looking back. That's uh, something that Rashi says um, in the beginning of the Torah, chapter six of Breshit. Um, it came to be when humans first were on the face of the earth. They started having daughters. It's a very strange verse at the beginning of the Torah, sixth chapter of the Torah, that the, that the children of the Elohim saw the daughters of mankind. Is this a, a remnant in the Torah of similar ancient mythologies where there is copulation between the humans and the demigods, Kitovot, they were pretty, they took them as wise, anything they wanted. On that phrase, on B'nai Elohim, this is what Rashi says. B'nai Hasarim This is not mythological. 
This is not ancient Sumerian myths. This is sometimes the Hebrew word Elohim, Rashi says, prepping us for a whole section of it, is someone who has authority, a sar, a minister, a shofet, a judge. Right? So um, back there, Rashi lets us know that occasionally Elohim does not have a capital Aleph as a word. It's not God. It's someone who, in a particular context, has power and authority, which ultimately is a godlike quality, but it can be represented on earth, not just as a person who is, is, has any divine um, comparison, but in this context is, has all the power that a God always has. Right? Leonard, last comment. Uh, just uh, that my dictionary has judges as one of the definitions for Elohim. Judges. Um, there's uh, a verse in, I think it's Parshat Kedoshim, Elohim lo tekalel. It doesn't mean you should not curse God. It's referring to jurisprudence, where it's suggesting that if the court case doesn't go your way, don't claim that the that the ref, that it's the referee's problem, right? Don't 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 blame the the guy who called the holding uh, penalty at the end of the Super Bowl, right? Uh, in that situation, that referee had the local limited authority that an Eloha does. We don't have to use the word God to suggest it. It's the one who has authority and power or judgment. One of the um, Torah passages. Elohim lo tekalel. Yeah. Oh, in the in the in the Sim Shalom it is correct. Yeah. It's one of the options before Rabbi Shmo, Rabbi. Yeah. Um, okay. Have a good Wednesday, everybody. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.